We trust that you've had a good week, and uh, we just want to remind you this Wednesday night we will not be having service, and next Sunday night we will not be having service due to the Thanksgiving holidays. We want you to be with your family. Lots going on, and then um, we'll get back into our normal routine right after that. But this morning, I'm going to be preaching to you on a parable known as the parable of the ten coins. Matter of fact, the focus is going to be upon this woman with the ten coins, and it's also going to be upon the coins themselves. We know that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. We know that. However, when symbolics are used to get a point across, sometimes it's possible for a parable to have more than one meaning. As a matter of fact, I've preached a lot of sermons out of this passage of Scripture, but I'm going to go a little bit of a different approach than I normally go. I have preached before that this woman could represent the Holy Spirit because we know that the Holy Spirit is like the woman, they're the keeper of the house. And can I tell you that each church must come to the realization that the Holy Spirit is the keeper of the house, that he is to be the Lord of the house. And I've also preached that this coin represents us, us as individuals, because how many know that we have the image of the king pressed upon us, that you and I are made in the very image of God, and not only that, we have value. According to the scripture, we are the pearl of great price, that God loves us and he leaves you as the pearl of great price, the apple of his eye. And because we have value that our lives then are to be spent for him. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us in Romans 8 and 28 that we know that all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord and to them who are the called according to his purpose, that my life has purpose and my life is to be spent for the kingdom of God. The things that I have, the talents, the gifts, the ability, whatever the Lord has put inside of me that is to be used for his glory. Can I have an amen? So we understand that we have preached that before. But the, uh, therefore, the Holy Spirit, we know, is constantly searching, looking, drawing, wooing, and compelling those that are lost to actually be saved. This theology def definitely does not violate the Holy Scripture of God because we know that the Holy Spirit came to fulfill the ministry of Jesus Christ, which was to seek and to save that which was lost according to Luke 19 and 10. And we also know that the Holy Spirit came to reprove the word of sin and of righteousness and of judgment according to the book of John chapter 16 verse 8 through 10. So we have preached before how that this Holy Spirit seeks the house for the lost in order to redeem them for the purpose of Christ. He's the one that draws men to Christ. He reveals Christ to man and only through the convincing, convicting power of the Holy Spirit can one ever even be saved. Repentance is a free gift of God and don't ever take it for granted because you cannot even come to God unless the Holy Spirit draws you. You did not choose him, he chose you. Aren't you glad this morning that you're chosen and redeemed children of God? Can I have an amen? However, even though I believe that that symbolic is true of what we've preached out of this text before, this morning I'm gonna take a different approach to the scripture and reveal what I feel like that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us here today. If there's ever a time for us to make up our mind who we're going to serve, we need to make up our mind today. The line is being drawn in the sand, and I'll be preaching here in the next week or two about how that God is getting rid of the gray area, and God's getting rid of the middle ground, and you're going to have to choose you this day whom you're going to serve. We're going to be talking about that in the weeks to come. But today's approach, we're going to be looking at this woman in a corporative sense, representing the church instead of the Holy Spirit. Instead of the whole, this woman representing the Holy Spirit that's the keeper of the house, we're, we're going to look at this woman as the church itself. And we're also going to look at her to represent us individually because we are a part of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the church. In other words, we're all members in particular 
according to the word of God. As a matter of fact, we are all lively stones building up a holy inhabitation of the Lord. So this woman's going to represent the church corporatively, and it's also going to rep the church, represent the church uh, individually. We know that the church in scripture has been called a she or referred to as a she. We know that the church is a symbol of the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ being the bridegroom and us, his church, being his bride. And notice that this woman representing today the church or us individually has lost something very precious, very dear, and very valuable to her. This woman had 10 coins according to the word of the Lord. These coins mentioned in our text comes from a Greek word, dogma, and it also is equivalent to the Roman coin, what we call denarius. And even though it was a silver coin and silver being a precious metal, yet by our standards today, it was only worth about 20 cents. However, this woman, it, to this woman, it represented the amount that a common labor earned in a whole full day's wage. So this coin re represented a full day's pay for a full day, day of work. So this reveals to us this woman had saved about 10 days of wages. Now, when you begin to look at it in today's terms, and let's just say that a man was working for $10 an hour to make it simple math, and he lose a day's pay, so this meant that he would lose about 80 bucks, but at the end of the week, he'd still have 320 left out of a 40-hour work week. Now, I know that if any of you lost four $20 bills, if you lost 80 bucks in your house, you're going to search earnestly for that money, just like this woman looked for those coins. You would search special places. You'd search your car, your pants, your pockets, your purses. You'd go through the floors, the hallways. You'd go back over the path that you'd be in. You would search earnestly, would you not, for 80 bucks. I know that I would. But if you continually searched and never found them and you just got to where you almost gave up, you would come to the understanding that 80 bucks isn't going to bankrupt you. 80 bucks isn't going to destroy you. And probably even though you don't like it, you would just move on. You wouldn't spend hour, uh, weeks and, and months looking for that, that money. But this woman searched for this one wage as if it meant her life. There was something different about this one day's wage. She didn't just do a walkthrough or, or an overview of the place. She didn't just look in the obvious places. She didn't just go back over her path. She didn't just move around things in search of it. The Bible says that she searched diligently, that she, she searched passionately. And when, when all else failed, she even checked the most unobvious places and the most unlikely places. This is what Lengthy will go to that to find that which was lost when it means something to you and when it's real valuable. I want to tell you if you find, if you really lose something real valuable, you're going to go to whatever length that you will go, have to to find that which you have lost. I lost my car keys one time and I mean I went over everything I, I just couldn't find them anywhere and finally I began to look in the refrigerator and Jenny said, what in the world are you looking in the refrigerator for those car keys? I said, well you never know, you just might have just dropped them or laid them, you know you just lay stuff down, pick something up and it's a place I visit pretty regular so I thought I'd check out the refrigerator. You know, how many's done stupid stuff like that before? I dumped out the trash, I done everything in the world, you know, to try to find these car keys. The Bible says that she swept this house. And that word swept is a word that means that she went over every inch of that place to find that coin as if her life depended on it. She left nothing unturned. I mean, she looked in every crevice, every cranny, every crack, every hole. She done everything she could to find this coin that was lost. And even though this woman was probably a poor peasant girl, 
and a one day's wage was very important to her, yet I submit to you this morning that there was something hidden in scripture of a greater risk here than just losing something lost like the valuable of a day's wage. There's something that I knew, I said, God, there's something here you're trying to tell us. And a lot of times when Jesus used parables, you have to understand the audience that he was preaching to. It was always usually the Jewish audience, so he always used Jewish life-related stuff in order to get a point across. So I began to do a study of the Jewish history about these 10 coins. And there was a greater reason for her urgency to find that coin than just the value of that coin, because 20 cents ain't that much. She was desperate to find it. She, it was urgent. Her life depended on it, she felt like. We have to realize that it was customary for a Jewish woman to save up 10 coins, string them together for a necklace or for a hairdress, or sometimes they would even do it in the form of a bracelet. And the ornament became a treasured possession worn as a sign of a married woman, very much like a wedding band is worn here for, uh, by us today. A matter of fact, they were known in many cases as the woman's dowry, which she wore as an ornament during her uh, engagement. In other words, that these 10 coins didn't just something she earned, it was an engagement given to her, and after she was married, she would go ahead and keep those and make that into a full-blown married wedding ring. Now, this is beginning to make sense of the value and the importance that she put upon this coin. It was more than just a coin bracelet or a necklace or a hairpiece that was passed down from a mother to a father. It was more than just 10 coins that she earned and made herself a piece of jewelry out of. These coins were worth more than their monetary value. They were priceless to this woman. Why? Because most likely these coins were given to her by her future husband and it was a sign of engagement. Now hang with me here just a moment. We have to realize that there were different dowries that was given in biblical times. In the eastern countries, the bridegroom was required to pay the father of his betrothed a stipulated portion of money or other valuables for his future wife. He would have to pay the father as a dowry for his daughter. I've told this story many times in different messages that I preach, but I think it's really important to get it across. There was a man that was wanting to betroth a wife, and he went to find out what the dowry would be, and the husband of the father said, you're going to have to bring me a cow. So he went out, and he got him some cows, and he brought it up to the house, and he said, this is my dowry, and though the father only required one cow, he brought ten cows. And all the community came out and said, why in the world did you do that? You could have got by with one cow. He said, oh, no, I couldn't have because I'm marrying a ten-cow woman. Can I have an amen? In other words, he put that much value upon his bride. That's the kind of value that we need to have towards our bride. Can I have an amen? But he would pay the father, this man would, a dowry for his daughter. And not only was there a dowry to the father paid, but there was also what they called a gift of endowment given to the bride by the bridegroom as well. It was considered a gift of espousal to this woman. The ten coins represented her endowment 
engagement ring and it was a dowry that she was to keep until he returned back to get her for his wedding day. And if any one of these coins were missing, then it was a license for the groom to be able to break off his engagement to her because she would be considered unfaithful. So here he is, he's paying a dowry of endowment to his wife, a gift, and saying, okay, you're gonna be my future wife. This is my engagement to you. And whatever he gave her, how much money he was able to afford, if it was small amount, she'd make a bracelet. If it was a real little amount, she'd make a hairpiece. If it was the 10 coins, she'd make a necklace, and she would put it around her neck. And the Bible, uh, uh, the, the Bible says uh, that these 10 coins were given to her. The bride was to present her marriage dowry back to the groom when he returned back after her. This showed that she remained faithful to him and that she kept herself solely for him and him alone. The gifts of dowry were made not only in the necklace and the bracelets and the hair pieces, but they were to be worn at all time for people to see that this woman was betrothed to another and she was already taken. That she was, it was a visible sign that she was not available to anybody else. And for them to be lost or hidden or misplaced is not only a display, uh, not, is not only a, a, a display, not only were they to be displayed at all times, but if they were lost or hidden in misplaced, then it was considered a unloyalty to the wedding engagement. She would wear as you and I would, or you and I, you women would wear an engagement ring. And I want to tell you something. What would happen if you were engaged to somebody and you called them out at a party and they took their engagement ring off? Come on now, what would happen if you found your so-called future wife around a big crowd, especially with a lot of men out, and she took her engagement ring off? You'd think, why'd you take your engagement ring off? This woman was not to take none of that jewelry off. If a coin was lost, it was due probably because she took it off, she misplaced it, and she was careless with that which was entrusted to her. Jenny thought I was crazy for looking for my car keys in the refrigerator, but I'll tell you what happened to her one time. She lost the set, the diamond, out of her wedding ring, and she went everywhere looking for that thing. And you know where she looked? The refrigerator. And she looked everywhere. Now, I'm telling you, that woman turned that place inside out, upside down. And Wade Kavnis years ago called and said, we'd have been at a hayride or something at his house. He called and said, hey, we found a diamond, uh, your diamond on our wood stove here at the house. What kind of a miracle that was, I have no idea, but it's a little bitty diamond. But how does all this relate to us? Did, you, did not Jesus come and pay a dowry to the Father for who made us and created us and called us. Jesus came and paid the ultimate dowry for you and I. He laid down his life, he shed his blood, he took up that blood, took it to heaven, put it on the mercy seat, and gave the Father a pure dowry for our marriage betrothal. And let me tell you, he purchased us. Can I have an amen? You are not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but you're redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ as a lamb without spot and blemish. And then he 
told us in John 14, verse 1 through 6, he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to where I am there you may be also. So Jesus, he pays the ultimate dowry. He gives his life. He gives us a promise he's going to come back. Now, under Jewish history, you got to understand something. After the, after the, the bride, or the, the, the groom would come and pay a dowry of engagement to the woman and a dowry to the father, he would then go back and start building a home. And he could not go back after that bride until that father inspected that home and said, it's good enough for a bride. Go get your bride. And that's what Jesus is doing right now. Our great Jesus Christ, our great intercessor, is gone away building the mansions for us. He's creating a home for us. And when the time is right, when God inspects those houses, he's going to say, go get your bride. Can I have an amen? Isn't that powerful? But on coming back after that bride, not only did Jesus promise of his coming back for us, but he also gave us a dowry to keep for him. Just like that little Jewish woman who had to keep her dowry for her groom's return, even so we're to keep ours. Well, what is our dowry? What is it? What are we to keep for him? Listen to what Jesus said in John 14, verse 19 through 21. Yet a little while, the world seeth me no more, but ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I'm in the Father, and yet ye in me, and I in you. Now listen, verse 21. And he that has my commandments and keepeth them, say keepeth, keepeth them. He it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. Jesus gave us 10 commandments as our dowry. Numbers mean something in all the word of God. We know that without doing a number study. Three is a sign of fullness, which represents the Trinity, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. Three distinct personalities all made as one. And then there is six is the number of man. There's seven, the number of completion. But 10 in the scripture is used 242 times in the word of God. 10 in scripture signifies testimony, law, responsibility, and the completeness of order. It represents governing. In Genesis chapter 1, we find the phrase, God said 10 times, which is a testimony of his creative power. God gave the 10 commandments to man. 10, therefore, represents man's responsibility to God's law to keep those commandments. A tithe is a tenth of our earning, and it is a testimony of our faith in the Lord and his divine order. Man is to live in God's divine order, and, and he's to pay his tithes. Can I have an amen? Man is to live by God's divine plan of economy and not of our own plan of economy. This thing is spiritual. We are to support the kingdom of God. But the Passover lamb was selected on the 10th day of the first month, as was Jesus, which was our Passover lamb that takes away the sins of the world. So the 10th day selection of Jesus was an indication that Jesus would be God's divine order of salvation for man. And anyone that would not accept or be responsible to that order, they could not be saved. Can I tell you, that's why John 14 and 6 says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man 
man cometh unto the Father except by me. That's why that Acts 4 and 12 says, for there's no salvation in any other. There's no name, there's no other name given under heaven among men whereby we can be saved other than through the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only Savior. He's the one under God's divine authority or God's divine governing or order in order for us to be saved. There is no other Savior. There's no other path to God other than through Jesus. Can I have an amen? But the 10th day of the seventh month is the holy day known as the day of atonement. Anytime you see the word 10, it's more than just revealing God's law, but it signifies God's testimony to man and his responsibility to the completeness of that order. 10 reveals the order and the arrangement that God has made for man to follow and to obey. The Ten Commandments are not just God's law, they're God's order, they're God's arrangement for the governing of our lives. Can I have an amen? They are to become our dowry, our sign of engagement to our Lord Jesus Christ, just like these coins were to this little lady. There was some that would argue that we're not saved by the law, but we're saved by grace, and how true they are. No doubt about it. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not let by works lest any man should boast. We know that we're saved by the grace of God. But even though we're saved by grace, grace is not the dissolvement of the law, but it's the fulfillment of the law. Jesus said himself in Matthew 5, 17, I'm gonna go slow here. Think not that I've come to destroy the law and the prophets. I'm not come to destroy them, but to fulfill them. And even though everyone has the idea today that the law was bad, it's ugly, but without the law, folks, man would not have no knowledge of sin. The law is not a bad thing. Come on, somebody. This is why that Paul said in Romans 4 and 15, for where there is no law, there's no transgression. If there's never a law to break, then there's no transgression. You can never sin. Come on. The law is there, and when we break those laws, that's what makes us sin. Some view the law as bad or sinful, but Paul asked the questions in Romans 7, 7. Is the law sin? He said, God forbid. A matter of fact, Romans 7 and 12, he says, wherefore the law is holy and the commandments holy and just and good. Now, let me just stop right there. Say this with me. The law is holy. The commandments are holy. They're just and they're good. That's what the scripture says. Then why is it that we have Christians and whole denominations that want us to refrain from the law and say the law has no part of the believer? It's ridiculous. It's ludicrous. Come on, somebody. Paul even said in Romans 7, 14, that the law was spiritual. Say spiritual. It was David that said in Psalms 19 and 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. Say perfect. Converting the soul. Say converting. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Say sure. Making the wise simple. Even though the law could not save, it could only reveal to man his need of salvation. That's what Romans 8 and 3 says. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sent in his own son and the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. The law couldn't save, so that's why Jesus came and Jesus therefore condemned sin in the flesh by obeying the Father and going to the cross and paying for the redemption of mankind. Thank God for Jesus saving us, but salvation does not take the divine order of God's law away from us, but rather salvation embraces it. 
Now watch this. Lots of people read that Romans 8 and 3. For what the law cannot do, nor is weak through the flesh. God sent in his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. Condense in the flesh. But listen to verse 4. That the righteousness of the law, say righteousness of the law, might be fulfilled in us, say us, who walk not after the flesh anymore, but after the spirit. You see, one of the things that we have to understand is what the salvation does. The law that condemned me and you and the law that we could not live, Jesus came to empower us to live out that divine law, God's divine order. I was out of order. I was alienated from God. I was walking a slippery path. But Jesus came and saved me and redeemed me. And now that I'm redeemed, I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. And that which I could not do by his power, by his strength, by his anointing and by his grace, I now can do. And now, who me who was alienated, who me who was sometimes a for all, I may nigh by the blood of Jesus, my feet is placed upon solid ground. It is a sure, it's a sure standing because he's the anchor of my soul. He's the hope of my salvation. And now I can walk the straight and now that he wants me to walk in. Can I have an amen? Because of the grace of God. God's grace doesn't give me the permission to break God's commandments or to overlook my responsibility to God's divine order. Come on. Don't give me a license to be lukewarm, cold, indifferent. And, come on. But rather grace empowers me and gives me the ability to live out his commandments. You know what 1 John 5 and 3 says? For this is the love of God, that you keep my commandments. And they're not grievous. They're not hard. Everybody said, man, you, you lost your mind when you say keeping the commandments is not hard. They're not hard. Not when Jesus is the Lord and sits upon the throne of your heart. It's not hard. That's why Jesus said in John 15, 9 and 10, listen to this. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, continue in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abided in his love. I hear people all the time talk about grace as an indicator that God loves them and he forgives them of not walking into God's divine order or keeping his commandments. And many simply believe that God does not impose the Ten Commandments upon anybody and that it was simply not required to expect it because that's an Old Testament thing and not a New Testament thing. They need to read Matthew 23, 23. But many simply believe that God doesn't impose those Ten Commandments on the believer anymore because we live under grace and not law. Many simply believe that law has no place in God's redeemed or in God's governing over man. Many think that the law has no governing over us since we've been saved by this wonderful thing called grace. According to Romans 8 and 1, God loved us while we were yet sinners. Amen? But these scriptures are not talking about God's expression of love toward us, but it's talking about our love and expression of love toward him. He's telling us that the true test that you really love me is by you keeping my commandments. As I have proven my love to my father by keeping his commandments, you're to prove your love to me by keeping my commandments. Therefore, by me keeping my commandments, I'm keeping my diary in check. When he comes back, I'm gonna have my 10 coins. Come on, somebody. Salvation is not a matter of God loving us, 
We know that God loves us. We know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We know that God committed his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Salvation is determined if we accept God's love by loving him back. The world is love, but that doesn't make the world saved. God loves the world, but that don't make them saved. Jesus said, this is how that you know that you're continually in my love by keeping my commandments. He reveals our relationship with him by saying in John 15 and 14, ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Listen to the terminology all through scripture. The true testimony that we love him and know him is by us keeping the commandments and us walking in divine order. Can I have an amen? First John 2 verse 3 and 4 says, and hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments and he that saith, I know him, and keeping not his commandments is a liar, and the truth ain't in him. That's powerful language. Grace doesn't give us permission to sin, but grace gives us divine enablement to live in God's divine order for our lives. That's what grace does. Look what Psalms 51 verse 11 and 12 says. Cast me not away from thy presence, nor take thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. When I read that, I've never caught this before. I've read that a million times. I've preached on it several different times. But the psalmist is saying, I want to be sustained by you, but the only way that you can sustain me is if I have a willing spirit to allow you to do it. Pray for me to have a willing spirit so that you might be able to sustain me. That's what he prayed. Don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Don't take your presence away from me. But give me a willing spirit to where I will allow you to govern my life. Come on, somebody. As a matter of fact, that's why the scripture said, Paul says, I know whom I believed in. I know he's able to keep that which I've committed in him against that day. He only keeps what you're able to commit. This business that you're saved, past, present, and future sins, only is uh, only is true if we make it applicable by us allowing to have a willing spirit for him to be able to sustain us by his grace. Can I have an amen? Give the Lord praise in, in that. I tell you how important the law is. In the Old Testament, people would wear what they called frontlets as they would go out and work in the fields. For, you know, it was kind of like these things that were on the caps, on the sides and on the front. They come out like you put a frontlet on a, uh, when the mules and horses, sometimes they put blinders. They call them blinders to the right and to the left where they can't see and get distracted so that they won't get spooked. And that's what these lanes were. They kept us from distractions because they put these frontlets on their hats as they worked. And upon them was graven the word of God. And all day long they sat there and they would read the word of God as they worked. Not only did they have the frontlets, but the fathers were to teach the law to the children as they woke up in the morning as they laid their heads down at night. The law was also put on the doorpost of their houses, going in and going. Everywhere they went, the word of God was visible for them to learn and to meditate upon. And this is why the psalmist said in Psalms 1 and 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law does he meditate day and night. They were to read the law, quote the law, study the law, memorize the law, meditate the law. They were to teach the law. When I was preaching a revival as a young man, I went way up north to Cameron, Missouri, and it was in the house of uh, Brother and Sister Moss with some uh, 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 wonderful, godly Church of God preachers up there. They were pastoring there. They asked me to come as a young teenager, and I was married, so I was probably in my 20s. 
And I went up there and stayed with them in their home. And every time we would go eat, we would go and we'd sit at a table. She had a big round table and she had a tablecloth. She had a beautiful handwriting and she had wrote scriptures everywhere, all, all kinds of different scriptures all over that tablecloth. And on the, she made homemade wallpaper and in her kitchen was wallpaper and everywhere you looked was a scripture. They would sit there every day of their lives and eat breakfast and lunch and supper. And while they'd done it, they would sit there and they'd quote the scripture to one another and they'd read the scripture. And I was sitting there and I got to reading those scriptures and I thought how marvelous it was. That's how much they put in to wanting to know the word of the Lord. But the problem was in the Old Testament, the more they quoted it, the more they studied it, the more they were condemned because they couldn't live it. But Jesus came and gave us what we call grace. I want to give you a definition of true grace today. Grace is not cheap. Amen. This is why Psalms 85 and 10 speaks of mercy and truth are met together and righteousness and peace has kissed each other. When mercy and truth met together, guess what happened? It gave us grace. Grace is not the abolishing of truth, but grace is the empowerment of truth. This is why the first John 1 and 17 says, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth was given by Jesus Christ. Christ didn't only come to, I mean, Christ did not come to abolish the truth, but he came to establish truth because he is truth. The Bible says that he's the way, the truth. He's not a truth, he's the truth. He's the only truth. He's the only thing that is steadfast in the world today. Now, what we see symbolically happening in the Old Testament in Proverbs 3, verse 1 through 3, is what we're preaching about today. Watch this. My son, forget not my law, but let thy heart keep my commandments. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them around your neck. Write them upon the tables of your heart. Did you hear that? Bind them around your neck. What's he talking about? The Jewish custom. He's telling you to take those 10 commandments, those 10 dowries, make a necklace, put it around your neck and never take them off. They're your endowment. You break one of those commandments, it gives him a right to forfeit the marriage. Oh God, help us. Now that Jesus has come, not only do we have the ability to bind them around our neck, but we also can write them upon the tables of our heart. Now that we're saved, the Holy Spirit himself writes God's commandments upon our heart. Listen to what Hebrews 10, 16 says. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. According to Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 and 3, the commandments of God were written upon our hearts by the Holy Spirit and not with pen and paper, not on pen with pen on paper. That God himself, when we got saved, he began to write the commandments on our heart. Now when the enemy comes to tempt me and say, hey, why don't you just slip out and party with us tonight? You know what I got to say? No, because the Bible tells me I'm to love the Lord thy God with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my strength. I can't. I got a dowry to keep. Hey, don't, don't you, don't, st why don't you just stay over on a nightcap when you're out dating? No, the Lord says thou shalt not commit adultery. Hey, I need you to tell my wife that I was over at your house last night. No, I can't because the Bible tells me thou shalt not lie. And you go on and on and on. What happens when these commandments slip from us? What happens when we break them? We got to take the word of God, the lit candle, and we got to search for them. We got to get back in divine alignment. We got to get back into the governing of the Holy Spirit. There are so many people in whole congregations that are making provisions for the flesh by making excuses for their sin. Folks, we're living in a loose world. 
Come on, somebody. We got to take the broom. We got to let the Holy Spirit, which represents the broom in this message, let the Holy Spirit start sweeping our lives. We got to be like David and say, oh, search me, oh, Lord, and see whether there be any wicked ways in me. And we got to be like David when he said, as the deer penneth after the water, oh, Lord, let my soul penneth after you. I want to be cleansed. I want to be washed. I want to be made whole. I've lost a coin. I've lost a commandment. I've broken a law. I've broken a rule. And it's not just the Ten Commandments because in the New Testament, there's scriptures where it says, I give you a new commandment. There's other commandments that he's given us. And matter of fact, he goes even to the furthest point to say, he that knoweth to do good and doeth not, it's sin to him. God help us. You know, one of the things that also is in this Jewish thing, and I won't spend a lot of time here, this little lady wasn't only to wear her jewelry where everybody could see it at all times. When she was out in public, she said, uh-oh, I can't flirt with her. She's betrothed. Amen. Nowadays, people don't care anymore. That's a different story. That, I've heard people say, well, she ain't married yet. <clears throat> but nevertheless, this woman was not only to wear this jewelry to let her know that she's been spoken for, that she's tied to another, that she's given her all to somebody else. She had lighted a candle. And she had put it in the window of her house. And that candle had to be lit at all times. If that candle went out, she was in trouble because it was a sign, again, that she's broken the betrothal rules. That light was to signify that anybody that walked by that house, that there was an engaged girl in there, don't come knocking, don't come asking, she's not available. That's what that was to say. And what does the scripture say about the word of the Lord? What does it say? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a light into my path. What else does it say? It says in Psalms 119, verse 130, the entrance of thy word giveth light and giveth understanding even to the simple. What did Jesus say in the New Testament to bring it down to where we live? He said, you are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. You're a light that's set on a hill that cannot be hid. No man taketh a, light, a candle and hideth under a bushel. But what do they do with it? They put it upon the candlestick to let all men know. Come on, there it is. Your life is to be a mirror and a reflection of who Jesus is. We are the expression and the extension of God's body upon the earth. We are the redeemed let the redeemed of the Lord not only say so, but let us be more than just a hearer of the word. Let us be a doer of the word and let the word of God bring us under submission to the governing laws of God. Can I have an amen? Let me just sum it up by closing with saying this. This is just a teaching this morning. 1 John 3, verse 22 and verse 24. Whatsoever we ask and receive of him, Whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Now, did you hear that? Does that mean you earn? No. It's just revealing the reason why you're receiving is because you got the proper relationship with him and you've got divine favor upon your life. That's why Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you shall ask what you will and it shall be given to you, my father. Look at verse 24. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us 
by the Spirit which he has given us. The Bible specifically tells us, folks, that the Ten Commandments is our governing rod. They're not to be discarded, overlooked. I have no bearing on me. I'm under grace. It's nonsense. When I got saved, the first thing that happened to me, I wanted to live holy. Come on, somebody. And today, if you're struggling and you've lost the commandment or broke the commandment or the enemy's trying to make you go against some of the commandments of God, then you know what you need to do? You need to get in divine order. Divine order. I could go through the scripture and give you the tenth of everything, like a tithe. A tithe is a tenth. What does that mean? That is the order and arrangement in God's governing for man in order for us to give a tithe, tithe because we're not to live under our own economy rules. We're to live under divine economy rules, which is God's tenth paying a tithe to the church. Everything is tied to governing, tenth, a testimony. It's a testimony. I believe God for my provision. I'm giving a tithe because I believe in God's divine order of arrangement. I believe that if I give to him, I will be blessed and he will take care of me. I believe if I don't, I will be cursed. And the same way it is with the commandments. If I break this commandment, I'm gonna be cursed. Then you're governed by law. No, I'm governed by grace and truth because Jesus is truth. Jesus didn't come to destroy that law. Jesus came to embrace that law in my heart so I might live for him. It's that simple. Can I have an amen? Some of the laws that we don't think about. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not bear false witness. That's hard for a lot of people. They put in positions. Come on. It's going over like a lead balloon. It's getting tight, tight, tight. We're not to use the Lord thy God's name in vain. We're not to commit adultery. We're not to kill. We're not to steal. He that steal, let him steal no more. Amen? We can go on and on and on, and we could quote the Ten Commandments. We know what they are. A new commandment I give to you, that you love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love thy neighbor as thyself. We're to love our neighbors as ourself. That's a hard commandment. Come on, somebody. But yet, if you, this is the love of God that you keep his commandments and his commandments are not hard. They're not grievous. Would you stand with me this morning? <clears throat> Some of you that might be struggling, listen, I'll be preaching more on this later on and I'm just gonna hit on it just for a second in the altar call. We're living in a world that's telling the church they can do whatever they want when they want. It's, we're living lives that's loose and unholy. and It's all under the banner of grace. True manifested grace reveals truth. It reveals the word. Jesus is that word. Every inch of it. We have people that's wanting the best of both worlds. I want to say Jesus is Lord so I can go to heaven, but I still want to live the way I want to live. It don't work. It won't work. Don't be deceived. And every preacher that's te teaching you that, they're preaching heresy, and it's an apostate belief. It's a false doctrine. And it's sent a lot of people to hell. I'm here to come to give you truth. We live in a society that don't want any kind, any kind 
of governing, any kind of restriction, any kind of discipline, any time of correction. If you try to do that, man, you are, whoo, you're disliked real fast. But regardless of it all, the only way you can be saved is through Jesus Christ. And after that you're saved, he begins to write the commandments on your heart and he says, keep them if you love me. It's a dowry. And you lose one of those coins, then I have a right when I come back to get you after I build you a mansion. I can cut off the wedding. If you don't believe me, look where Israel's at today. Israel, according to the Old Testament, was a spouse to God to be his wife as we are to be the bride to his son Jesus, the church. The scripture tells us that God wrote Israel a bill of divorcement. And God divorced Israel as his own because they went horn around with other gods. And he cut them off and he grafted us in as a true church, as a true believer. And then he says to us, be not deceived, even as I cut off that natural branch Israel, I can also cut you off. Don't go doing what they done or you'll get the same results that they got. And look where they're at today. They're about to go through their correction time in the, in, in the tribulation period. And they're going to come back and they're going to get their senses back and they're going to accept Jesus as Messiah. But I'm here to tell you today that Jesus loves you. And he's got a better way for you to live than to be in and out, up and down, cold and hot. He, he's got a better way for you to live than you to be addicted, for you to be enslaved. Jesus come to set the oppressor free. He come to give you truth. And the only truth can set you free. Know the truth, know the word, and the word will set you free. You gotta come under the divine conviction of the Lord. Fall down on your knees and repent and don't try to justify the things that you're doing. Don't try to make excuses and provisions for the flesh. It won't work. Open up and say, this is where I'm at. I'm struggling, I'm honest with it. And I believe that if you're struggling and you're honest with God, that he'll be merciful to you and work with you. But the guy that tries to hide a sin and cover it up, sweep it as if it's no longer sin, he's lost his right to his endowment. He's lost his coin. And he'll be lost. God help us. This little lady lost a coin. I gotta find it. I gotta find it. No matter what it takes, I gotta get back in that line to where I can live that life again. I've lost a coin. I've made a mistake. I've got careless. I've got reckless. I took something for granted. I laid something down when I shouldn't have. Or I picked something up that I shouldn't have. I put something on that I shouldn't have put on or I took something off that I should have never took off. And as a result of it, I've lost a coin. If you've lost a coin with every head bowed and every eye closed to this morning, or maybe you're just being tempted to let down, take off your necklace, to take off your engagement ring or your engagement set. Is there times when you're in the middle of a crowd, you're ashamed to be a Christian, you're ashamed to speak up, or you're, you're afraid to say no with the crowd? That's when you're really being tempted of whether or not you're gonna keep your hairpiece on or your bracelet on or your necklace on. Are you taking it off and putting it on, taking it off and putting it on and taking it off and putting it on? You keep that up and what literally happens is eventually you'll lose one of those pieces out of that set. And then after you lost that piece, when he comes back, 
he'll find you weighing in the balances and you'll find you unworthy to go in the rapture of the church. Is there anybody here this morning saying, Pastor, you're preaching to me. Thank you for giving me truth. If you just make your way up here, we're going to pray for you and God's going to restore to you the joy of your salvation. I know there's somebody really struggling. Amen. Is there anybody else? I need some men to gather around my brother. He's just checking his life. It's okay. Nobody's judging. Nobody's looking. Thinking, well, what's he done? That don't mean he's done anything. He, he just feels the sensitivity of the drawing of the Holy Spirit. Is there another one here this morning? Can I have some more men around this young man, please? Folks, this is a serious moment right now. Huh. Take the lit candle, guys, the word of God. Search them with all your heart. Meditate upon them day and night. Let the broom, the Holy Spirit, sweep your soul. Can I have some women gather around over here to the left? There's just being people drawn up here. They're just checking their lives. Oh, Holy Spirit. He's getting serious with the church. He's getting serious with all of us. Is there any others this morning? We're not going to hold long. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, this morning we just come before you. We pray with this congregation that all of us, God, be examined by your Holy Spirit. Turn on the light. Search us, O Lord. See if there be any wicked way in any of us. See if we've lost any of those coins, Father. Have we ever broken or transgressed against the law? The way of the transgressor is hard, Lord. We don't want to live that kind of life. We don't want to live in bondage and enslavement. We don't want to be living, God, trapped. We don't want to be living, God, beneath our privilege. But, God, we want to be free, set free by the word, set free by truth. God, I pray, God, and we want to be enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit to live out that truth, that we might be agents of freedom and not agents of enslavement. We want to be a part of the body of Christ. We want to be pure and holy, spotless, without wrinkle, without blemish. Purify us, God. Forgive us of all of our sin. Cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. And let us, Father, be what you want us to be. Help us to put on our wedding endowment necklace. Wear it around our neck and never take it off and never get careless or reckless with it. Let us not lose one coin, I pray, in the name of Jesus. And we give you the praise and we give you the honor. And we give you the glory in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray blessings over the congregation now as they go. Help them to enjoy this wonderful holiday that is coming up. Help us tonight to have a wonderful service, God, and refresh us for the week to come. We give you praise. We give you honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed this morning.